0: Oh my oh God. My mother is calling me. I <laughs> swear to God,
1: mom. Mom, I told you that I'm, I'm in the basement with stuff, mom. I'm recording my podcast, mom.
0: Jesus, Margaret. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Welcome to Cancer for Breakfast with Amy and Steph. I'm Amy. And I'm Steph.
1: to make cancer for breakfast safe and comfortable for everyone, it may not be suitable for all audiences and is intended for informational and educational purposes only. It is not a substitute for medical
0: advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We're not doctors. We didn't even go to podcasting school. We go stephanie Lejeunesse. amy hi hi it's another
1: ep it is this is our podcast cancer for breck that's <laughs> right that's right i am back from my retreat what retreat oh didn't i tell I, you? I didn't even miss you <laughs> oh <laughs> just kidding i really did tell tell us
0: though so.
1: Um I was selected and my whole family got to come along for a retreat with an organization called Little Pink Houses of Hope and mm-hmm. uh they put you up in a donated luxury rental property mm-hmm. and they organize Activities for you and your family, and you go with other families that are affected by breast cancer, and it was a lovely time. Lake Tahoe, which is where we were, had a historic record snowfall. We got two feet of snow the day after we got there. Wow, it was amazing. And you know how I always say that you shouldn't like call cancer people brave because it's not like you signed up to do like a ropes course or something. Uh huh. I did, in fact, sign up to do a ropes course, so now you can call me brave. (laughs) Did it feel good? No, I twisted my ankle uh, on the way to the second group of courses, so my dumbass sat down on a bench.
0: You little silly bench
1: warmer. That's right. That's me. That's really my vibe.
0: Well, I'm glad you got a little vacay, and um, that sounds so wonderful, but now you're back and ready for
1: business. That's right. That's right. Refreshed. Ready.
0: We're here. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about some uh, fear of recurrence stuff. We are. Also known as what I have my doctorate degree in. <laughs> 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 it's, oh, Just kidding. It's true, it's true. Yeah. But we have some, a few letters from, some gals. What? It's always gals. It is always gals, isn't it? I know we have male listeners. We absolutely do. Yeah. Anyway. All right. So how scared are you that my cancer is back and is um, ravaging my body right now, Steph?
1: I am not scared at all, but I'm always here to listen to your recurrence fears. But And I have to tell you, this bummed me out so much. So on this retreat that I went on, mm-hmm. one of the gals it was an early stager. She is just she's through all of her other treatment except that she's waiting for reconstruction. Mm-hmm. And she is one of those people who said she doesn't really get any validation around how tough it is to be in this like survivorship period mm-hmm. of being a cancer person. And she was like, nobody gets it. I feel like I'm going crazy all the time. Like every ache and pain freaks me out. And mm-hmm. it was so sad to me that everybody doesn't have somebody in their life that's like, yes, that's normal. Right. <laughs> of course, you have like PTSD from it because it's fucking terrifying to think about. Yeah. And you, I think, told me that she
0: was so grateful for the retreat because she hadn't had that experience of talking to even other cancer people during treatment. Yeah. Which is why I'm always hyping these support groups and and just meeting other people around you if you possibly can who are going through treatment when you are. Because it really is like nobody understands until you get to hear other people say, yeah, of course you feel that way.
1: Yeah. And like, she's a busy lady. She's, she works. She's a mom of four, you know, like everybody doesn't have time to go to a weekly support group or whatever. Sure. Like, I I feel like that's what you think. I don't have time for this, but it's so essential. I feel like everybody should treat it like a doctor's appointment because yeah. it's so good for your mental health.
0: Even monthly, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So one part of the fear of recurrence is the every ache. Every symptom of anything you have, you just think maybe. Yeah. And then, and I've said this before on other episodes, there's like, there's so many small things of like the amount of time it takes to feel something new and to then be worried about it. And then enough days to go by to actually admit it to yourself that you're worried about it Yeah. or admit it to your doctor or send a MyChart message and then to wait for the appointment and then to wait for the scan or anything. That whole experience is very PTSD involved. Yeah. Like there's so much that I think on the outside, it's like, oh, your hip is hurting for a few weeks. Like, I'm sure it's fine. Right. You know, and then for you, you're like, there's so much else attached to that. I just had something and I didn't even tell you, Steph. I went to the doctor yesterday because I have had and I'll just briefly say this because it's just too boring to hear about tiny little symptoms of whatever. And um, But on the topic <laughs> of fear of recurrence, I have on and off had this kind of like little fluttering sound in my ears. Oh, yeah. And it's sort of like a... <laughs> And it's often when I'm going to sleep, but it's like maybe once a month or yeah, something. And sometimes it's if I've had alcohol too, which I think I've been like, oh, it must be like my blood pressures change or my sinuses, or I have no idea. Yeah, but then for. Like a week, it got really strong to where it was happening in the daytime. And I just kept feeling this like, kind of in my hearing, but also kind of just in my head in general. And I was like,
1: oh, yeah. So
0: my cancer is in my body and it's in my brain. Yeah. And that is what's going on. And maybe it's been in my body this whole time, which, you know two years might be like the amount of time it would have taken to get to my brain because maybe it's somewhere else that we didn't know about. Yeah. And then I also was telling myself to be rational and saying, that's probably not true. And like, you've kind of had this off and on and it's probably related to sinuses. It's probably this, you know?
1: Yeah. Or just like an inner ear thing. Yes. Which is like such a complicated part of your body, right? Is like... yeah. Or even blood pressure. I mean, like having blood pressure issues is totally a side effect of the hormone medications that we take. So. Right. Yeah. And I, I did also think like
0: medication side effects, it could very well be that too. Like maybe it got stronger because I just switched from Zolodex to Lupron and maybe that's part, you know. Yeah. But just the whole amount of time it takes for you to be freaked the fuck out and then try to rationalize your own self. And then get to the point of, okay, I either am going to sit here secretly freaking out for either as long as it takes for this to go away or for as long as it takes for this to keep happening for a very long amount of time. Yeah. Or I have to just tell somebody like a medical professional. Yeah. (laughs) And so I did that. I got a phone call from a nurse practitioner from oncology and I talked to her and she was like, you know, it doesn't sound medication related yeah. at all. Like I've looked up all the side effects and like that that's just not Lupron, that's not your AI, you know, it's just not. Yeah. And so we were kind of talking. She's like, I think you just need to go see your family doctor, and it's just this isn't oncology related. And of course that's what I wanted to hear, right? Yeah. But because she wasn't directly saying this isn't cancer like she was saying it's yeah. not your medication i actually said because i know myself well enough now that i need to like push it so hard that somebody like shakes me and says it's not that you know for me to <laughs> yeah. be able to be okay because otherwise i'm gonna be like oh, well she didn't technically say that yeah. um, so i said um can i just ask you one more question before we hang up the phone she's like <laughs> yeah and i was like just to be very blunt <laughs> <laughs> Is this brain cancer? <laughs> yeah. Like, there's no possible way that this is Mets to my brain. And she was like, no, 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 no. That's not like... And then she started telling me what some of those symptoms would look like that would be going along with yeah. this. And that, that this isn't what that looks like. But I needed her to actually say that, which... In whose mind would anybody be like, that's not a side effect of your medication? Okay, well, is it cancer in my brain? Actually, it could be. I'm glad you
1: asked me that before we hung up. You know? Yeah. Well, and you don't want her to volunteer. Like, this doesn't sound like brain mets. Right. Because then you're going to be like, why did she bring it up? Right? (laughs) It's so nuts. And you know what? It really gets me is... You see people joking about being hypochondriacs. I mean, I specifically mean you see cancer muggles joking right. about being hypochondriacs and how they're on WebMD, like Googling, are my symptoms cancer? And everything turns up a cancer diagnosis and stuff. Mm-hmm. And like, fine, that is scary for those people. But once you have actually been through the treatments and stuff, yeah, it is a completely different ballgame because you can go over in your mind, even if you don't make it to the freaking out part that says it's metastatic.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Even if you're just at, quote unquote, just at it's a recurrence. Mm-hmm. You know what everything's gonna be like. You know exactly how miserable you're gonna feel, you know what mm-hmm. how much of a time suck it's gonna be, how it's gonna change your life for the next X number of months or years. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we play around with the term PTSD as a culture, but this is completely legitimate
0: mm-hmm.
1: post-traumatic stress disorder where yeah. you cannot get it out of your brain replaying these scenarios that you've already been through, mm-hmm. worst case imaginings and it's just, you know, it's not us being hyperbolic. It's not cancer people being um fabulous or whatever, you know, like it's it's very, very legitimate. And to go through your life as a cancer person with that fear of recurrence, mm-hmm. not being validated has to be so isolating and so lonely and yeah. really make you feel like you're off your rocker. And that's why it was so funny on the retreat to have it was me and another gal who's metastatic and then this other one who was an early stager. And I feel like her fear was so much worse than mine or the other metastatic gals because she just hadn't had that community. She hadn't been validated. Mm-hmm. She hadn't had anybody tell her, yes, it fucking sucks to go through her life with all of these fears and the knowledge behind it to know exactly mm-hmm. what you'd be looking at. So, like. Good for you for advocating for yourself on that phone call, even just to say, like, I need you to tell me this is not Mm -hmm. brain meds. Yeah. Because a lot of people, I feel like, just don't feel comfortable doing that. And they need to, they need Mm -hmm. to be empowered to just say, I need to know. Yeah. So I'm not going to spiral after I hang up.
0: Totally. And also, just to end what happened with that, I did go to my general doctor and It is a sinus related thing. And Mm. we didn't even talk about anything oncology related. Me and that doctor, it was all just like good sinusy stuff. And anyway, I was just thinking of what you were just talking about. Like sometimes I even feel like, geez, like I wonder if some of my close friends or I don't know, even family members are like, Jesus, why won't she just get over it? almost like do people think I have like Stockholm syndrome where like I actually like yeah. got really into being sick and like being the sick person and so like now that I'm quote unquote better I kind of keep being like well now I've just got to go to acupuncture because I have all these like yeah side effects from this thing that happened to me forever ago, you know where it's just like that is literally why I go to acupuncture it's not because I like being at the hospital but just sort of like all these things that kind of keep it at the forefront of my life totally but it still is at the
1: forefront but I swear to god I don't want it to be it's a total catch-22 because it's not like when you get together with your friends you want to be like oh and by the way I have to take hormone therapy so I don't have a recurrence and Mm -hmm. it gives me these side effects and I have fatigue and hot flashes. I mean, like most cancer people are into like raising awareness about it or whatever, but you also don't want it to totally consume your identity. So it's not like you're giving every detail of your experience, Mm -hmm. but then people don't know everything you're going through. And so when you do go to acupuncture, they can't put it together that it's because you have hot flashes. Right. Because you take medication still. Right. And I am happy for them that they get this like blissful ignorance, but um, but I think you're right that people a lot of times must be like, what the fuck? Like, get over it, dude. But yeah, you can't get over it when you still have reminders every day. hmm. Yeah. Well, let me just read a letter. Can we do that? Yeah, let's do
0: for a little quickie. Right. I'm going to read a letter from a gal named Kelly. Hi, Amy and Steph. As my one-year cancerversary approaches in November, recurrence is definitely on my mind, not only consciously, but also subconsciously. The fear is popping up in some very strange ways. For example, my cat has been unusually cuddly lately, jumping up in the night to snooze right next to me. My cancer brain is telling me she's doing it because she knows I'm actually riddled with cancer and she wants to comfort me while she can.
1: Oh, totally. Yep. Mm
0: hmm. Mm hmm. Also, the other night, my partner accidentally jabbed me in my non cancer boob. He made a weird sound of apology, but my cancer brain interpreted it as a cry of alarm. What is it? I asked in a panic. Did you feel a lump in there? My instinctual response was truly that he had detected a tumor with his fucking elbow. Thanks, cancer brain. <laughs> Yep, yep, yep. But more seriously, one of the hardest parts of life after active treatment is handling friends and family who think everything is hunky-dory now and that I'm cured forever. Pausing here to acknowledge that I'm lucky to have a life after active treatment. Whenever anyone asks how I'm doing, I always feel compelled to temper my response. My go-to answer right now is, well, I'm cancer-free as far as we know, and I'm on medication to make sure that my cancer doesn't come back. Maybe it's a danner of an answer, but it's reality. I am very grateful for folks in my cancer community who truly understand the fear of recurrence because cancer muggles just do not get it. Thanks for the podcast and for creating a safe community for us cancer baddies. Kelly, um, and she gave her Instagram if you want to follow her and have um, have a friend. Uh, she is at Kel Mishka, K-E-L-M-I-S-H-K-A on Instagram and this is just the most common everything she said yeah totally right
1: absolutely and i i feel bad for people who want the happy we did it kind of response i know and aren't expecting the like eor response that they get but that's mm-hmm. the honest response that's the answer and i think that One of the things that I've been really proud of us and this podcast is that I've heard from my friends who are cancer muggles who have said I had no idea about any of this stuff. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, sure, some of it is just not wanting to go there, not wanting to go down that road. But a lot of people are open to knowing the real deal and they want to. Totally. You just have to find that way to disseminate the info in a way that doesn't I feel like put it on individuals in those tough conversations when your friend wants to be like yeah Yeah. you beat it and you have to be like actually yeah (laughs) my recurrence risk is Uh, 13% gaining over the next two years I'm constantly
0: deciding if I want to just smile and be like yeah totally anyway how are you? You know, Yeah. or if I want to be like, I mean, yeah, as far as we know, we aren't sure. I guess it's just like a wait and see thing, you know, like if it comes back, it does. But, you know, like, yeah, but I'm always just depends on who the person is. It depends on what I have the energy for. It depends on how I feel that they're going to interpret that as, like, what I was just saying about, like, God, does she just want me to look at her as the cancer person by being like, well, I don't know, maybe I did, you know? Like, she's <laughs> <it's just> like, <laughs> yeah. okay, Amy, we get it, like... Can I read this other one? Because it's a similar thing of people just wanting to say, woohoo, you're done.
1: Yes, please do.
0: Okay. Ashley wrote us and she says, Hey, y'all, I am typing with one thumb because I did some serious dumbass shit and cut my left thumb working on a sewing project while listening to your dumbass cancer podcast. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's fine. My thumb, I mean. And I didn't bleed on my project, but maybe I should have. And please don't tell me I could or I should sew for money or for a cause because this is my
1: hobby. Oh no, but I do. Can I interject? Yeah. Hot hot sewing tip. I am a I am a sewer also, Ashley. Yeah. And I learned this when I worked at a fabric store when I was in my late teens and early twenties. The uh, best way to get blood, your own blood, out of a sewing project is with your own saliva. Ooh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. not someone else's saliva? No, your, your saliva on your blood. So if you sew through your finger, as I have actually done. Oh, my God. Um, Is that what the little thumb th- thimbles are for, but you can't use them? Yeah, well, but you don't use those when you're sewing on a machine, really. Right. Know? Those are for hand sewing. Yeah. If you do that, you can just suck on it. On the fabric? Mm-hmm. It's a little... Um.
0: All right. Well, take that hot tip there, Ashley.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. She
0: does go on to say my last chemo is in a few days and everyone except for me wants to celebrate like this thing is over or something. I still need surgery, probably followed by radiation, probably followed by more surgery. Am I supposed to just play Jenga with my kids like I don't have cancer? I guess so. But without a fucking ribbon because if you do Jenga right, no one wins, but we all (laughs) applaud anyway. That tower falling is one thing we have agreed not to cry about. Um, So that is from Ashley. And then she says, I love you all. If that wasn't clear.
1: Oh, yay.
0: (laughs) Um, Yeah. It's strange. It's strange to figure out for your own self. Like, how am I supposed to act? How, how am I supposed to look at this? Like also like, When technically is your cancer quote unquote gone? Is it your surgery? If you have surgery before chemo, I mean, it's adjuvant chemo in that case, but still like you're still in cancer treatment to kill fucking cancer. So like,
1: right. Yeah. And also I feel like just saying is your cancer gone isn't really the full picture either. You know, it's like, of course, there's a whole process that you have to go through and it's sure it's great when the cancer is not in your body anymore in a great big lump but right (laughs) yep but yeah it's it's really hard and it's hard too to know what you want to burn your loved ones with Mm -hmm. some people might choose to just go out and celebrate with your friends because you don't want to be the downer that's like actually maybe we don't have anything to celebrate yet
0: right also people's recurrence rates are different you know yeah. Mm-hmm. Somebody might be freaking the fuck out because they have a 10% chance of recurrence and somebody else might have a 60% chance of recurrence, you know? But 10% is still fucking scary, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And I do not look, I do not look lightly on any of this. Um, I'm going to read one more letter to finish out just the letter segment because I do think that these all bring up so much stuff. This one is from someone named Aaron. And she also gives her Instagram, so I'll just throw that out right now. But she's Blues on the Instagram. And she says, my thoughts have been so jumbled on this topic. I have a lot of feelings on it, but don't know how to say it all. So excuse the ramble that I'm sure is coming. I'm sure we all share common feelings on recurrence. It's scary as shit and always there in the back of our heads. I love you ladies for telling me not to hold on to statistics because mine are real gross. Statistically speaking, I have a 76% chance of recurrence. Stage four colon meant to liver. My oncologist said not to think of it as a typical stage four, but honestly, I'm not even sure how to take that, which is a whole other conversation. So truly, I'm just living life three months, one scan at a time. And the thing with that. Is it's completely derailed my life. How do I move on and do any of the adulty things when I feel like I need to enjoy a clear three months because there's a good chance the next one won't be? Mm -hmm. Real thankful to have a partner to help keep my spending under control because (laughs) the treat yourself vibes are very strong. Mm -hmm, Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Also. I just want to cut so many people out of my life, people who have been in my life since I was a child, family members, anyone who hasn't showed up for me. I am not spending any of this precious time on them. I don't have the energy or time for the big conversations that need to happen for there to be resolve or closure. I don't think it's a mature or healthy way to go about it, but time is completely different thing to me now, and I am being very selfish with mine. I'm only a few months post-treatment, so I hope this feeling of what's the point fades if more clean scans come, clear scans come. Just trying to figure out how to cope until then. She starts, uh, makes note to find a new therapist, lol. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you both for this community you've built. It's really amazing to be a part of it and to have it be so inclusive and open. Erin and Aaron is mama bugs dot blues on the gram <sighs> feel you aaron
1: yeah the um spending thing just cracks mm-hmm. me up because i obviously i don't have to worry about recurrence but you know i do hope that at some point i can get to a no evidence of active disease place. Yeah. And then, you know, you are just living scan to scan. Right. Hoping for the best, but preparing for, in my case, the inevitable. But, you know, in other people's case, just recurrence. And you do get those treat yourself vibes. And like, how do you argue with that? Like, yeah, treat yourself because you've had a glimpse of the end. Yeah. And you want to be like, fuck you for not showing up for me. Like, you know, I don't need I don't need those people in my life. You know what I do need in my life is a gorgeous uh, down poncho. (laughs) (laughs) That's right.
0: Yeah, but I do just want to go back to the nice letters that we got. And. I'm losing my train of thought. Can I just fucking tell you, my chemo brain has gotten worse as time has gone on. I have heard that. I have heard that that happens. Okay, what is the fucking peak? Am I through it? Is this just like where I am or is it going to get better? Because I feel like every once in a while I would mix up a word, like, I don't know, here and there. And it wasn't that big of a deal. But right now I'm like mixing up words, constantly losing my train of thought when i am trying to start saying something yeah yep i don't know i guess there's like exercises through i don't know if it's a physical therapist because it's not physical but whatever the equal medical professional would be to do like cognitive yeah. <laughs> training that could actually help a lot i've heard but i haven't done it I'm not trying to freak out anyone going through chemo right now but
1: It's a thing. And also aging. I mean, I have read that crossword puzzles help and Tetris, playing Tetris. Oh.
0: An open letter to cancer survivors everywhere. Dear survivor, our wish for you is what everyone wants out of life. Health and happiness for you and the ones you love. A life where you're not just surviving, but thriving. For your whole life ahead, Myriad Genetics is here to help with a simple test called Myriad MyRisk.
1: MyRisk can help determine your risk of a new primary or secondary malignancy. It can also identify your risk of developing other hereditary cancers, so you can make better, more informed decisions about your health. And if your family members take the MyRisk test, they can determine their risk too, because about 10% of the time, cancer is linked to a single change in a gene, or mutation that has been passed down from generation to generation, meaning it's hereditary. Maintain your health. Protect your family's health with my risk. Get started at myriad.com slash survivor.
0: Let's just go back to the recurrence thing because I do want to talk about it more because I feel like it's such a big thing. For people, when you're in treatment, you hear that it's going to happen, that once you're out of treatment, you're not going to have this like,
1: yay, I did
0: it. But during treatment, you kind of think you will feel that way. And so it it makes it hurt even more, right? Yeah. But I think that kind of does keep you going through treatment sometimes where you're kind of like, oh, geez, like, I'm going to be so glad when I don't have to worry about this anymore or like. Oh, man, when I'm not doing chemo anymore and I'm just doing radiation, it'll feel this way or whatever. And then I think like people would warn me once you're quote unquote done, there's this other thing you go through. And I thought, well, cool, because you just told me about it. So now I'm prepared for it. Yeah. And when it happens to me, I'll know oh, this is just the thing that happens, so it's not real. Because this happens to everyone, which means it's not real, which means everything I'm worried about is just my brain, right? So I seriously, in treatment, thought that's how I was going to handle it and that I was going to outsmart myself somehow. Yeah, yep. And then when it happened, I seriously was just like, I cannot convince myself that what is happening is not real or that there is not this thing happening in my body that you know this is my last weekend of being a normal person again because you know I've been out of treatment for three months and then I have an appointment on Monday where they're going to tell me that this is actually in my rib or whatever but it is so normal and I have never met a person other than Someone who literally has like a 1% chance of their type of cancer coming back or something. Yeah. Who's like, it just like doesn't happen with this type of cancer, like that I feel like could not identify at all with fear. Yeah. Uh huh. And not to say that anyone who's had a cancer that's like that does not have fear, because I'm sure you do as well. But every single person I have interfaced with who has been through treatment with a cancer that has any sort of recurrence rate or ability to spread. Yeah. Goes through this. So if you are going through it, no, it's so, so, so fucking normal. And I do think it gets better with time because I think that I don't think our brains can actually keep up with how exhausting it is to be so, so, so panicked and then have it come to a head and then find out it's okay. Like for me, I've done this so many times where I've had to get scans or go to an appointment just to get talked through something that my doctor then says, no, that is absolutely not a symptom of X, Y, or Z. Yeah. But the amount of time it takes me to freak out and worry and panic and then be let down again. Like I just, I can envision driving away from the hospital, being like, <gasps> like, I cannot believe I got away with this. Yeah. Again, like, I cannot believe I was so sure driving here or I was so sure over the weekend that, you know, I've got to just enjoy this. Like, you know, like that letter was saying, it's like, I've only got these three months, so everything's fine right now. I got to like really yeah live it up, you know, and it's just like, I think our brains, though, for me it has gotten easier. Like when I have these scares now, I'm still freaked out and I'm still unable to convince myself that it's not real without literally having myself be shaken. And by literally, I don't mean literally at all, but, (laughs) (laughs) Uh um, and told that it's not that, but, um, I think my brain can't, can't get as freaked out anymore because I've done it so many times that it's not the same as maybe it was the first six months for me.
1: I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure that's the case. I mean, you're also getting the positive feedback that you need to calm down. So incrementally, I'm sure that you're right. It's getting less and less stressful less panic-inducing every time you go to the doctor and they tell you you're okay. And, like, I'm hopeful that that is for you and for anybody else who goes through this, that that is what continues to happen, that, you know, it just gets less and less and less and less. And then, um, you know, it turns into this undercurrent that you can ride without feeling like you're being sucked in. I mean, as you were just saying that,
0: I was like, yeah, but also kind of not because of the nature of the beast. Like, there is no, like, oh, well, that whooshing in your head isn't cancer in your brain. So, therefore, when, you know, my my ribs are feeling weird in a month, then that's any sign that that's not, you know, like, it still is like there... It's something so overwhelming and such a bummer that there never, ever, ever will be complete peace of mind for me, for my specific type of cancer that has very high or higher recurrence as time goes on. So,
1: yeah, I mean, I think that's a thing, too, that people don't realize. And I always think about this now with these awareness months that we have, like what exactly is the awareness that organizations or we as cancer people are meant to spread because I feel like you go through the world, you see people having the cancer experience and what you see is somebody gets diagnosed. They're like, oh, this sucks. This is so scary, but I'm going to do it. I'm a fighter. I'm so strong. And like, that's great. Pump yourself Mm up. Super. And also a lot of that, as you and I both know, and I'm sure our listeners knows, is some play acting that we do Mm -hmm. for the benefit of people that we love. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, you cross that bridge from being a normal person to a cancer person. And you see that there are all of these weird levels that you had no idea Mm -hmm. existed. And that narrative that you have seen play out over and over where you get diagnosed, you feel like shit for a while, you have surgery or whatever, Then you're ringing that bell and maybe you have to go to physical therapy, but you're back at work and you're doing great. And then you do a 5K and you're wearing a tutu or whatever. And like you cross over into cancer person territory and that whole facade just crumbles because Mm -hmm. you're like, oh, okay, so. They actually weren't sharing all of the times that they felt like shit. They weren't sharing the depth of shit that they felt. Yeah. They weren't sharing that a lot of people choose not to ring that bell because Mm -hmm. they're surrounded in the chemo ward by people who are dying, who will never Mm -hmm. ring a bell. They aren't sharing all of these tiny pieces that make it such a harrowing experience because... Who wants to? Nobody wants to be like, look at me. I'm miserable. I know. All the time. But it's so funny that you bring this up because
0: I just had a Facebook memory come up a couple days ago. That was my um, cancer acceptance speech on Facebook. Yes. Letting people know that I had been diagnosed. And so, you know, I'm very new to the game at this point. I was diagnosed on October 18th and this was like around halloween i think that i posted this yeah um and i reread it for the first time since then because i don't think i even could reread it last year i was just like no i don't want to see anything yeah um and i laughed and this is a little bit sad maybe but i laughed because i was like you naive naive (laughs) little bitch yeah because i did there were two parts of it that I just noticed from who I am now reading it that like one part I definitely did not know I was being naive about was just like this is just like I literally said, This is just a speed bump in my yep. life. And you know, like like not even knowing that totally the radar cliche cancer thing that people tell you and then once you're like in it for a while, you're like, Yeah, yeah, it's a fucking speed bump. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks, Sharon. <Yeah>. Um <laughs> And then I also the other thing was like I was I was so careful to make sure that nobody would worry and like that I was going to be fine. Like, first of all, before I say this, I want you to know I'm going to be fine. You know, like I didn't want to freak out other people. I didn't want people being sad about me. I was scared to death, but I also like had to make sure everyone else believed that I was going to be okay, so that I could believe that I was okay. And then but that made me sad to be like, oh, like you thought you had to be so quote unquote brave um (laughs) I I get it though like that's like how you have to be to be like if I'm gonna tell people I need to be in control of their reaction to this or else I am so close to the edge that like yeah yeah I cannot even but I mean I don't really I don't post on Facebook really that much anyway but I I definitely am not a Oh, yay. Like, gather around and cheer for how over (laughs) it I am, everyone, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, maybe some of the awareness that can come with these months is now just the awareness that people are not fucking okay (laughs) when they're making that Facebook post. Yeah. And you see them saying, I'm going to beat it because I'm a fighter. When you see people posting that, understand that they are terrified. They are performing so you don't feel terrified Mm -hmm. and they are trying to convince themselves that they're going to be okay and it's okay to say i am terrified this is really scary Mm -hmm. and i need help and i need money and i need child care and yeah all of that is not the sunny 5k finisher picture Mm -hmm. but that's the truth and then That you're going to need support after the fact, too. And it's not like taking you out for shots when you're done with chemo. Right. You're going to have long-term effects. And people just don't realize that lots of us are on drugs for a long time. Not on Mm -hmm. drugs, but (laughs) we take... I mean... Yeah, (laughs) on drugs, too. But, (laughs) you know, (sighs) lots of us take medications Mm -hmm. for a very long time to maintain whatever semblance of health we've managed to to get away with at the end of our treatment, you know? Yeah. I actually wanted to talk about that for rats because I did some research on the effects of going through cancer and cancer survivorship. Um, there are some cool studies on it. But it also sucks so bad that, of course, nobody can tell you Or would ever
0: tell you that your fears aren't justified. But also like nobody can tell you that it will be okay. Like nobody. Yeah. And that is all any of us want. Yep. And there's so few things in life where some action or some sort of like intervention or doingness will make something go away or better. You know, it's just a way of navigating through bad circumstances to get to the other side of them and like this is one of those very few things and it's a very unique thing to be faced with personally for all of us is like no one can tell us and that's all we want you know yeah yeah and whatever you're okay is is different for everybody you know like you know if you are somebody who's like fearing recurrence like maybe it is like if I recur will I be curable yeah or like will i be not or like if you're somebody with a diagnosis that is not curable like will i live for 20 years or 30 years or like you know just tell me somebody
1: yeah that's all i want and that's the thing is we've all had that peek behind the curtain like all of the cancer people whether you are ned or nead or still in active treatment or whatever we have all had that curtain drawn back for us and that's something you don't unsee Mm -hmm. and so all of these other sweet summer children are living their lives around us with no idea what it looks like behind that curtain I feel like that is just a pretty harsh divide that separates yeah people who understand their mortality from people who don't Mm -hmm.
0: and as we talk about in other episodes to some degree like I think that Other people, the cancer muggles, would like to think if they did have to peer behind that curtain that they would close it and move on because they need to think that's how it would be because the other reality just sounds too awful. And it is awful. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it is awful to think about it all the time or to wake up in the middle of the night and just be like, how is this real? You know? Yeah. Literally two years After my diagnosis, still thinking that, you know, like, yeah, you don't want to think that's how it would be if it would happen to you. And so I think it actually makes sense that people aren't as understanding or they just assume you would just get over it or they think that your fears are you just suddenly being a totally irrational freak.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, that's just like we talk about this so often. It's just that like human tribalism thing where you you are the person who doesn't have cancer. Right. You're the person who would beat cancer yeah you're the person who would be okay after cancer and those other fools are the other ones
0: Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm
1: and sorry guys but that's not how it works
0: yeah bitches (laughs) (laughs) dumbasses (laughs) dummies you dirty rats
1: (laughs) are you ready Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm Okay, so for um, for this particular rats, I found a grip of good articles, Um, one from Indiana University School of Medicine and Ohio State University. Um, That was a research paper. There was an article in the Harvard Gazette. Um, There was an article titled Financial Burdens of Cancer Treatment by Grace Smith et al., um, and there's an Everyday Health article, which is always a good website for just general breakdowns of n- healthy news. A good site for your breakdowns? <laughs> <Just> <laughs> I'm go freaking there. the fuck out. Get
0: onto this website. Every day You're health.
1: having a breakdown. <laughs> so um, ACS researchers... Um, Performed this study, and they had 1,903 respondents who were cancer survivors in the United States, nine to ten years from their initial diagnosis, and they were asked about just kind of a litany of of issues. Um, how's your sleep? How's your physical health? Um, how's your mental health? How's your social life? How are you doing financially? It will surprise nobody probably listening to this podcast, uh, but. People said they have had sleep trouble within the month, 51% of them. And these are people who are 9 to 10 years out from their diagnosis. They are still dealing with sleep disturbance. Physical health is impacted across the board. Most people reported that they have mobility issues. They still struggle with fatigue. They still struggle with body changes Mm -hmm. from their treatment, from post-treatment. They have mental health issues. Lots of them said that they have chronic anxiety, sleeplessness, again, which, as we know, can contribute to body changes and obviously fatigue, too. They experience isolation and depression at a much greater rate than people who have never had cancer. They report that their social lives have changed pretty dramatically. Um, they feel distanced from friends and family. Their family planning has been affected in a lot of cases, so their families look different than they expected them to. They have... um maybe fell fallen out with some of their friends who took different paths and have kids now, whereas these cancer survivors weren't able to have kids Um, and dating with a different body than most other people their age. People have reported is a problem for them. Financial hardship is a big one for respondents in the United States. Seventy four studies of about six hundred thousand people um, 49% of them says say that they have remaining financial burdens. And the predictors of that for the um, these 600,000 people were obviously no insurance when you're diagnosed, being low income when you're diagnosed, and being younger. Um, mm. So you haven't had time to get a college degree, maybe. You don't have as many resources in your community. You haven't had time to get a savings account together. Um, And also, these financial burdens result in worse adherence to what their oncologists have advised. So a lot of these people will, both in the short and long term, not do their follow-up appointments. Hmm. They won't do their follow-up scans, um, maybe because they can't get the time off work, maybe because they don't have the money or insurance to pay for it, maybe because they're just too fucking stressed, you know? Mm -hmm. And so they have worse outcomes. Mm. Um, You know, we know that if you're not getting scanned regularly the way that you're supposed to, or you're not checking in with your doctor about new symptoms, if you do recur, you could be later stage. So Mm -hmm. that's a big deal. So another thing that I was this hadn't occurred to me. It was like one of those things that I feel like I've thought about the pieces individually, but I hadn't had them put together for me. Mm -hmm. Cancer survival rates have increased really quickly. So basically what's happened is there were all of these really amazing advances and mortality rates dropped and people are able to be cured now that were never cured before. You know, doctors have had all of this great success with curing their patients and treating their patients, and they have been just happy with that. It's like, hey, go team. <laughs> we cured the cancer. Mm-hmm. But now they have to start considering survivorship needs. Mm-hmm. And that has not been a focus because yeah. things have gone so quickly in these advancements in curing and treating cancers. Mm-hmm. So, There's been, I I guess, really recently, this shift in talking about survivorship plans, whereas this has not been a conversation really in the past. As we know, medications for survivors can create long-term problems, like I said, especially hormonal Mm -hmm. longer-term treatments like people take for breast cancer, for Mm -hmm. um, other hormonal cancers like testicular cancer, uterine cancer, cervical cancer, things like that. And those medications can create problems, too, like depression, anxiety, weight gain. Then you have like loss of mobility, maybe, and fatigue. Mm -hmm. And it just turns into this like spiral where, you know, your health is really seriously impacted. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's the work life impact. So your career can take a hit because maybe you're out of work. Or you're taking Mm -hmm. so much time off work that your career doesn't advance on the trajectory that you had planned. Right. Especially women are seeing maybe their careers stall out entirely because their partner will take on the majority of, you know, of the work. And then they figure, oh, well, you know, I've been out of the workforce for this long. I may as well just stay home with the kids or whatever. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, career impact is a really big problem in survivorship because, you know, In a fast-moving career path, you can be totally out of the game if you take off a year. Mm -hmm. One thing that I guess is being talked about more widely now as a way to combat these problems with survivorship is something called a survivorship care plan. And um, that's something that you would be given by your doctor basically when you are finished with active treatment. Mm -hmm. And that consists of just actions to prevent and detect recurrence. And it's also to help you coordinate care with your primary care doctor. Because I feel like, you know, even you mentioned earlier when you were talking about the whooshing sound that you were hearing, you talked to your oncologist first because they've been your point person for so long. Mm -hmm. And you don't know when you should sort of shift back to your primary care doctor. And like, are they equipped to deal with all of my concerns and are they just going to brush me off or are they going to kick me back to my oncologist? Right. So this is a way for your oncologist to help you feel supported and also for your oncologist to instill maybe confidence in your primary care doctor that you wouldn't have otherwise. These survivorship care plans are shown to decrease anxiety in patients during mm-hmm. their survivorship. They're shown to increase adherence to all of the things that your doctor tells you to do. Increasing adherence to your follow-up appointments, to medications. Um, and you're less likely to get these survivorship plans even offered to you if you have low education achievement. Mm-hmm. So if you only graduated from high school you're much less likely to be offered a survivorship plan. Hmm. If you're widowed or divorced, you're much less likely to get a survivorship care plan, which I was like, what the fuck? Like, what is that? I don't even know. Like, I guess because you don't have a spouse, you're like, whatever, you're on your own, bitch. That makes (laughs) sense, though. Yeah, obviously, if you're uninsured, you're less Mm -hmm. likely to get a survivorship care plan. And I think that all comes down to the fact that doctors don't have a billing code for this kind of like non-medical visit. Mm -hmm. Can I tell you, I did have a survivorship appointment only
0: because I asked for it because I had heard about it from support groups. And I don't know if this statistically is true. I thought I read it somewhere, but I cannot find anywhere that if you go to support groups, your survivorship goes up a tiny bit but this is part of why i think that is because like for example i only knew that the survivorship appointment existed because i had heard legends of it and so (laughs) i was kind of like that was one of these like points i was looking forward to at the end of treatment is like god once i have that appointment like almost as if like my oncologist was gonna like pat me on the back and be like we did it
1: Um, (laughs) way to go sport
0: and uh, clearly that was before I realized what survivorship was. Um, (laughs) But I had asked for it. And then, you know, I, I don't see my oncologist now every single month. I see her every three months. And then I see a nurse practitioner the other month. So they had said, oh, I heard you requested a survivorship appointment. I'll do that for you now, the nurse practitioner said. I was like, okay. She's like, but It's basically just a printout. It's not that big of a deal. So we can do it or we don't have to do it or whatever. I could like send it to my chair. And I was like, no, I want to do it, you know? Yeah. And then she just printed me out some little thing that was like, you can exercise, get some sleep, don't smoke. Oh God. Like, this is what the printout was. And it was like some of the signs of like, if something is painful for longer than X about a time, reach out to us. And, you know, a lot of it was stuff that maybe I wouldn't have known if I hadn't educated myself on stuff.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that a bigger part of it should be the mental health piece. Yeah, Because when you're seeing your oncologist, obviously their piece is going to be the cancer. Yeah. You know, that's what they're trained to treat and fix. But these larger cancer clinics and even just general hospitals, I feel like, should be more dialed in to this need. Mm-hmm. And um, there was one other thing. So this this really did blow my mind. The less likely to get survivorship care plans list because to me, this is all people who should be prioritized. You know, oh my god, these are people who aren't going to know the yeah. questions to ask. So, low education, widow, divorced, uninsured, and sixty five plus. Mm all of these people need survivorship care plans desperately but also so does everybody else and so there are some proposed solutions to these um using telehealth which obviously mm-hmm. has become a lot more standard mm-hmm. in since the pandemic reimbursement by your insurance for these survivorship care plan appointments because as i said that's not currently mm-hmm. available as a billing option Um, And then standardization of plans. So, you know, doctors don't have to come up with their own language or nurse practitioners don't have to come up with their own language because not everybody is good at this kind of thing. And I think that it is kind of unfair to ask doctors and providers to turn on a dime and then suddenly start providing this kind of um, largely mental health and just kind of life skills type of deal. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, if it were part of professional development or something, or like you said, they had specific people like social workers. Yes, it's perfect for social workers. Absolutely,
0: And like the nurse navigator mixed with the social worker as just a service they provide to, like, connect you with any sort of. Go on. I don't mean to interrupt you. I'm really on no, one but-
1: now. You're totally right, though. The nurse navigator is a perfect person to tell you this as you're coming through treatment. And just to give you a heads up that, hey, if your doctor doesn't offer you a survivorship care plan appointment, then you can advocate for that for yourself or, you know, reminding you again Mm -hmm. as you're coming to the close of your treatment, just an extra phone call to say, be sure to get one of these appointments and get, you know, get the printout or whatever. If that's all they offer, just get it so you can have something to refer back to that has a list of support groups. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, a survivorship-specific support group would be so great for people. So you you aren't worried all the time about, like, freaking out people who are still in treatment or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a different thing to talk to people who are at your stage yeah. in the process and i just think there's this whole like you know i never would have thought about cancer survival rates being a part of the whole picture but you know now we're in this phase of medicine where science has done great things mm-hmm. and we've got to look at the whole person yeah and not just the cancer um mm-hmm. because these are these are big things that impact your whole life and like If you don't have cancer in your body anymore, but you have fatigue and you're isolated from family and friends and you have had a failed career and Mm -hmm. (laughs) you um, are poor and all of like this is not a good quality of life. It's interesting
0: when you say the the groups that are less likely to receive that. I absolutely believe that. And I am so curious about the reasoning behind that, if they even know the reasoning behind that. um but I absolutely believe it because I was just thinking about like I I share an oncologist with some other people that I know through support groups and such Mm -hmm. and just for example one of them was trying to convince another gal to switch oncologist and join our our oncologist because (laughs) this person's oncologist was sucking for one reason or another and um and then my friend was like, yeah, like, and don't you just love how Amy, how every time you see her at appointments, she gives you that big hug. And I was like, oh, what? What? There's a, there's a hug at your appointments <laughs> because I seriously was like, what? Like, I no, never. Like, she just like strolls in and like, it's just like, what's going on? How's it going? You know? And like, and her vibe with me, like, I don't need a hug from her. Like. I'm clearly not putting forth any hug energy, but we are in a very small way receiving a different style of treatment. And she's treating yeah. us like she's treating my friend with more compassion and she's giving her more of, because my friend for whatever reason is, but I would never know that we were being treated yeah, in that way. But I mean, that's just a very small example, but I do believe that like, Whatever vibe they're interpreting, oh, you're 65, you must be more stoic and you don't like getting help. So I'm not going to try to offer it to you and offend you by assuming that you would ever need something, you know?
1: Right. Right. Or just I'm not going to bother. I mean, yeah, I hate to say it because I love my oncologist and you love your oncologist, but they're not all A pluses. (laughs) And so, yeah, um, you know, some of them might just Be falling down on the job and and seeing somebody with a lower Mm -hmm. level of education and saying, well, they won't understand it anyway. Yeah. Um, Or they're not going to seek out this thing anyway. Right. So what's the point? Which is awful. Mm -hmm. So I would love to see a shift in this. Um, People listening, if you haven't gotten a survivorship care plan and that sounds like something that would be helpful for you. Then ask for it. I don't ever think it's too late. And also when you get that plan and it sucks, like mine kind of did, maybe tell your
0: cancer center that, like, this actually wasn't that helpful. Like, why don't you also mention X, Y, and Z? Which I, I definitely didn't complain to my cancer center, but now <laughs> I'm going to after I listen to this episode. When's it coming out, <laughs> stuff, So I can listen. Just kidding. <laughs> well, there we have it, folks. Yeah. Is there anything else we should mention? do we want to thank any donors yeah should we do
1: you do you just want to
0: read the list of names
1: yeah i will read it and um some of these are new Mm -hmm. supporters some are old friends thank you
0: and we read the names of anyone who's donated ten dollars or more to patreon or our buy me a coffee ten dollars or more a month
1: that's right. Um, so we appreciate your support no matter what. Um, I've been listening to a lot of the podcasts you're wrong about. Mm-hmm. And I just also wanted to say what they always say when they're they're plugging their Patreon or whatever. We don't give away extra content. We don't, you know, like, don't feel bad if you can't support us, if you don't want to support mm-hmm. us, if you just want to spend your $4 on something else. That's OK. You're part of our community. We appreciate you. You know, listening, sharing, whatever you can manage to do. But if you do want to donate, Steph would really appreciate it because she does want to get a new tattoo.
0: <laughs> and she's going to use her money for that.
1: <laughs> and go backpacking across Europe. I'm just kidding. JK, JK. But thank you. We love you supporters of all varieties. Um, Kelly Williams, Julie McCormick, Allison Fergal, Jane. Sarah Lundquist, Sarah Gunn, Andrea Sanchez, Carol Heimberger, Vicki McClure, David Dials, and Christy Bailey. Thank you so much. Thank you for being that amazing level of supporters. And I also wanted to give a little extra shout out to um, Julie McCormick, who Aww. donated in my name to MetaViver and legit made me cry a little bit. So um, that meant a lot. Thanks, Julie. So nice. Well, hey, thanks for
0: listening. There's, I feel like with so many of these topics, this is just barely tipping the tip of the tip, you know? (laughs) It's true. Like, as we're wrapping up, I'm like, we didn't even talk about this part of fear of recurrence. Or, you know, there's so much to it. We will definitely revisit. And just know you're not alone. That fear is... Just part of this shit bag, and being afraid and thinking about something does not give it truth. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to not worry about feeling guilty about giving power to our fears as if we're doing something wrong by feeling a certain way, because what you've gone through and what you're going through is real and the feelings are normal results of that. And I think we all have to just be really easy on ourselves and try to be kind to yourself. Yeah. Another thing I was texting with a friend about this exact subject, and she's someone who's trying to like limit time online, limit time looking at groups and listening to even our podcast. She's like, you know, even... I love your podcast, but the last few times I've tried to listen, I've just had to stop because I'm just like not there right now. I need, you know, I need some space away from it. And um, she finished treatment uh, not too long ago, um, active treatment at least. And, And I was like, you know, I think that you can't compartmentalize your cancer time like okay this is the time i'm gonna like allow myself to be freaked out and i think that like you can limit your exposure to cancer stuff but also it's going to find its way into your scared little ptsd brain and like you can't Mm
1: -hmm.
0: be mad at yourself when that happens and i kind of got sidetracked talking about the texting with a friend, but it, it came up in a in a way of us talking about trying to compartmentalize our our fears and
1: Yeah. Sometimes
0: you can't. So just go easy.
1: Please do. And you know, just you won't be able to always anticipate what your triggers are gonna be. It might be something really random that brings you right back to those scary, scary pit mm-hmm. in your stomach feelings and kindness to yourself and having a lot of empathy for yourself is just everything. Yeah. And there is something
0: to be said with the fact that like the same places you sometimes do go to for support, like maybe listening to this podcast is some of your support or or like feeling understood or something or those groups. But it is crazy that sometimes those are the triggers as well. Yeah. You know, like. Yeah. Which is just so crazy. You know, in those groups, you're going to run into people who are having recurrence. And
1: what the fuck? You know, like you can't separate that. That's right. Maybe someday all, all of our listeners who were early stage people will like... Do the thing like teenagers, they'll go off to college and we'll send them away with a wave and we'll wipe the tear from our eyes and then they'll come back for like Thanksgiving. Maybe so. We'll hear all about their adventures in the big city, not being scared shitless all the time.
0: (laughs) Well, I hope so. Yeah. All right, folks. um, That has been our episode. Oh, and as we leave you, I do want to say, if you want to write us a letter that is not on any topic that we have mentioned or tried to, you know, source letters for something that we have coming up. If you have anything on your mind that you have ever wanted to write in, we love random ass letters. That's and right. we love reading whatever is going on. We do. So, cancerforbreakfast at com, and you can always dm us in the instagram
1: as well that's right yeah cancer for breakfast on instagram and on twitter we're cancer breakfast and i think for the thanksgiving holiday we probably should
0: do another cancer for bitch fest oh yeah An airing of grievances instead of of gratitude.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Yes. Send us your bitches, guys. Yes. Any bitch.
0: Send it on over. Thanks so much for listening.
1: We love you. Bye. Bye bye. Cancer for Breakfast is hosted by Amy Dials and Stephanie Lejeunesse and produced by Nathan McGeehee. Our theme music is written and performed by Vivivir.
0: Find us at CancerForBreakfast.com, Instagram at CancerForBreakfast, and email at CancerForBreakfast at gmail.com.
1: Like fly. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening.